Welcome back to Pot Deux, listeners. I'm your host, Clara. And I'm your host, Jessica. We are uh, joining you today. We're in the apartment of Amy Jordan, who has been nice enough to host us for this interview. Um, Amy is an author, inspirational speaker, consultant, choreographer, and classically trained dancer who embodies her mantra, dance because you can. With a life full of unexpected challenges, Amy's professional and personal experiences have given her the insight to help others. Amy has type 1 juvenile diabetes and fought most of her life to hide it. As a professional dancer, she experienced complications from the diabetes that caused her to lose sight in one eye, becoming legally blind. Unable to continue her dance career, she turned her attention to supporting others living with diabetes. This began her lifelong work as an advocate and motivator. She founded the Sweet Enough Movement to help prevent childhood obesity through dance and exercise, which became a top five national finalist of First Lady Michelle Obama's End Childhood Obesity Challenge. Amy faced another major life challenge when she was hit and run over by a bus while living in New York City. The accident nearly ended her life, and her leg came close to being amputated. She used her dance training and discipline to survive dozens of surgeries and managed to regain use of her leg. After years of rehabilitation, Amy returned to fitness classes, began choreographing, and returned to her essence as a dancer in 2014 when she founded the Victory Dance Project a New York City-based professional dance company. Today, Amy strives to inspire and motivate others to overcome any adversity. She continues to choreograph and is a sought-after motivational speaker and coach. Amy shares her unique dance philosophy in her signature presentation, Dance Because You Can. She believes that the process of creating your own victory dance is the key to success in business, leadership, and life. Amy's book, Dance Because You Can, Five Steps to Transform Trauma into Triumph, will be released in October, um, which just passed yesterday, 2018. Welcome, and thank you so much for taking the time to join us, Amy. Thank you. Wow. We really appreciate it. It's clear that you are very busy, so (laughs) carving out an hour for us is amazing. (laughs) There's always time for what's important. Awesome. Well, we thought just to start, um, you have such an incredible history and story. We'd love to just start by hearing about your journey um, and the obstacles you've faced and overcome from your perspective. And I wrote a book about that. <laughs> My life seems to have been just one big obstacle after another, which has turned into kind of a benefit because it landed me here. Obviously, having a chronic condition like diabetes as a child in the 70s and 80s, pre-internet, was challenging. Uh, Then I became visually impaired and put my professional performance career into early retirement when I was in Los Angeles in the the 90s and early 2000s. But I've always been able to reframe or redirect. I don't know. It's just a thing with me. I'm very A. So I was kind of mad that happened to me and the circumstances behind it with the diabetes, miseducation and lack of support. So I started a support program for kids like me and lo and behold, there were a lot of them and that's how we landed the Sweet Enough movement. We got very involved with the schools. This was long before Michelle Obama, let's move, you know, this was in the 90s and early 2000s. And so when that came along, I was jumping up and down for joy. I actually got to meet her, which was probably one of the best experiences I've had in my life, next to honoring Gina Rivera. So, you know, and then the accident, um, of course, took things up a notch, being pinned under the tire of a bus. But again, like... 
Yeah, I was hit and run over and literally pinned under the tire. So, you know, and as the story goes that I tell in the book, I couldn't feel my right side. I immediately thought, that's it. My dancing's over. Because I was choreographing, I had become very interested in the production side of things at that stage of my life, being almost 40. And and um, I was still taking class and teaching. And so, you know, I, I made the determination in that moment that if I survived... Like this idea of victory dance just came into my head. I mean, I was probably hallucinating. I'm sure I was. Like, who, this is what you think about when you're pinned under the tire of a bus, but that's me. So, this was was all while you were pinned under the tire of a bus. You had this light bulb moment. I was like, if I I survive, like, some, I had no idea what was ahead of me, but here we are. And how inspiring that that's the first place your mind went to. It's like you're pre wired to just think about hope and how you're going to overcome something. I mean, looking back, it just seems weird because I (laughs) I didn't know what was going on at the time. And, you know, I'm sure the paramedics thought I was hallucinating. But I also, I practice SGI Buddhism. From that perspective, you know, we're never a victim. There's never a quote-unquote accident. Like, this was just part of my mission. So because I had been practicing for so long when that, I think in that moment and those crucial moments in your life, I don't understand this. This is really crazy, but something is going on right now. (laughs) You know, when you're kind of trained that way, it kicks in when you need it the most. So it Mm. was still challenging, but that was sort of the basis of it. So now that makes sense. I'm very familiar with SGI Buddhism and I used to uh, be a member. I saw your Lotus Sutra book and I have the same book. (laughs) So that makes perfect sense why you automatically went to this hopeful, what can I get from this and turn this around that place? Because that is what SGI Buddhism is all about, like thinking about your uh, future and what can come to you that you really want. Excited that you're we're an SGI member. Did you go to 50K? <laughs> Lions of Justice. We just had a huge festival, 50,000 youth in nine cities across America gathered for the cause of peace, justice, and the dignity of life. It was mm. really amazing. Yeah. September 23rd. But anyway, if it was pre-50K, I would be like, you guys have to go. It's going to be a really great festival. Wow. Um, yeah, it really has kind of been my SGI Buddhist practice has really been of thesis, the sort of underlying pulse, because it still gets hard, and you, I still was complaining. I mean, I had 18 surgeries. I was on a burn unit. You know, it was, there were a number of life and death moments and, but as you said, it's all about creating value and, you know, chanting nam myo ho kyo puts you in rhythm. So I had what I needed, you know, I had the, the fortune and the wisdom to know like certain doctors weren't the right people. So I found there's a story in the book about Dr. Know-it-all who just thought, I won't give it away, but, you know, I had the, the ability to mostly keep forward focused. And then once I kind of made it through, I feel, and I still do, this tremendous sense of responsibility to now work as an artist for peace or for humanity. Like, I I get this mission sort of side of it now that 
I physically come out the other side, which was very touch and go there for a lot of years. So, When did you start this practice out of curiosity, since it seems very integral to your journey? Or when did you join the SGI Buddhist um, community? I joined August 13th, 1999 in Los Angeles oh. when I was danced um, oh. during their Victory Over Violence campaign. <laughs> They do big youth campaigns for peace, justice. So was it part of, um, it wasn't part of your struggle with diabetes then? It kind of came later in your life? Yeah, I was 28, so I had already had the diabetes complications, and I had 40 surgeries on my eyes, and I had to stop driving, which when you live in Los Angeles is, yeah, I rode the bus there for like 10 years figured it out but again like I figured it out you know I think that's just how I deal with trauma I just figure it out like I don't some people retreat I just I get sort of obsessive about how I can figure it out down shortly the visual complications after I moved to LA and you know suddenly I'm around these dancers like that just come off Michael Jackson's bad tour and mm. truth or dare. And like, they were just around, you know, Michael Peters would like teach class on Friday morning at 10 AM. You want to go? I'm just, you didn't even understand the scope of <laughs> that time of commercial dance. Cause wow. you were just around these people were just, you know, and I didn't get the performance side of it, but I think I learned a lot just being around it and, being in rehearsal where my friends' projects and seeing how things were handled. And, you know, it was a tremendous learning time for me, sort of without my even knowing it, reflecting back, I would do later as a dancer and a choreographer. And speaking of that, we're, we're curious. It seems um, that dance has been vital to your, your process as you've overcome challenges. And we're curious for you to tell us sort of from your perspective, why dance might be invaluable for anyone who's facing challenges, including life-altering challenges um, on that kind of level. I love that question. Thank you for asking. Dance, to me, um, is a metaphor. You know, it parlays kind of to everything, just this idea of moving. Like, if you think about it, like, everyone is dancing. Like, if you walk down the street in New York, you can't move about the street unless you have some sense of rhythm Mm -hmm. so while you might not even recognize it like so when I speak in this this metaphor of d-a-n-c-e determination acceptance never give up courage and enthusiasm which is the basis of the is really you know it parlays into anything Um, you can move through anything you don't have to be you know an Alvin Ailey dancer if you're moving through a difficult relationship like what steps do you have to take if you're in a corporation and your team is discouraged because of economic downturn what kind of steps do you have to take to bring people back together to work as a unit like when I'm choreographing they have to work as a unit so and I think the training just for me practically because I came from a very strict ballet background and that discipline and that, I mean, my physical therapist like said to me when I was, I was in the uh, ICU, a burn intensive care unit for two months. And she said, you know, 
you're going to come back further because you're a dancer, because you have the discipline, because mm-hmm. you're the pain tolerance. Yeah. You know, I would get in trouble because they wanted me to bend my knee and it hurt a lot because I have no ligaments in my knee and I had fresh skin grafts. And so instead of trying to bend my knee, I would just bend straight over to put on my sock. Oh. And they would be like, those dancers, man, like <laughs> you're getting around everything. So. You know, I think this idea of dance is much broader than we dancers really think of it. Um, And it really can parlay, and certainly the metaphor, oftentimes, depending on the situation when I'm speaking, I'll invite someone to share an obstacle if they feel comfortable, and we'll walk through the steps and see what kind of solution we can get to by the end. And they're like, wow, I never thought of it. So it's reframing moving in a different way trying things out there's a lot of that in the book you know you try things it doesn't work it works in your head in your living room and you get in the studio with your dancers and you gotta just scrap it and start and it's terrifying got me this far and can parlay you know translate for any anybody in any situation and that's a theme that's come up for us in the past with other interviewees as well and we do agree that dance can really prepare you for the mindset for everything like you were saying reframing problem solving trying new things but also just being able to put up with a lot of stress and adversities and but still taking it in stride which is the def if me and you yeah, you answered the question. You know, it really, you know, looking back and, and people would say to me, how did you do it? How did you get this far? I could never do it. And it was, I mean, literally and figuratively putting one foot in, I mean, I had to learn how to walk again. You know, I have this new body. They took my back muscles and put them in my leg. They took my hip bone and put it in my leg. Like I'm, I'm literally reorganized. So I I've had to retrain my body. So on the literal sense, it was, you know, a few steps at a time every day and bending my knee. And some days were better than others. Some days it was, I can maybe get in the shower and make it to the corner today. Other, you know, it was these, I talk about when I'm coaching simple disciplines over time, you know, step after step after step. And that's what we do as dancers. We go step, step, step. And then all of a sudden we have a work and it's on the stage. And you're like, wow, how did that happen? So, you know, and I, I also felt like there's a lot of focus necessarily on rebuilding your body because when you're in a severe trauma situation, like there was way less focus and resource on rebuilding your life. Every, and people were like, oh, you're so inspiring. You're doing so great. And you're thinking like, I literally have to start over at 45. I can't physically do any of the things I did before. I can't do any of my former jobs. That in itself is kind of terrifying. So, you know, again, it was baby steps one day at a time chanting every day. What is my mission? What action do I take? Some things work. Some things didn't. Patience. So process for sure that brings me to the next question what are the five dance steps and how does one follow them and also you'd mentioned walking people through um like an issue in their life through these i'm so curious to hear and the five steps in the book are determination acceptance never give up courage and enthusiasm 
and they're mutually inc- I had a a man at a one guy in particular at a seminar I did who had a situation with his daughter and they weren't getting along and there she was struggling to get work and he was getting impatient and you know oftentimes I find that issues I have with other people are because of my own impatience with myself <laughs> Um, and so, you know, I always have to look at my own life first. So we were able to really walk him through, like, what's your determination for your relationship with your daughter? What's your, um, what do you need to accept about the situation to really support her? Not like it. There's a big difference between liking something and accepting something. That was a tough lesson in this process, Mm -hmm. which there's, um, a lot of story about in the book. Um, you know, not giving up because we're in tough times and getting employment is difficult and we're not working with a fair system. We all know that, but that's a separate conversation. And I don't want anyone's blood pressure to go up. Um, having the courage to have whatever conversation with her or to support her or to, for him to maybe have the courage to step back with his own stuff, um, whatever the situation would benefit her and then some enthusiasm. And we walked him through that process and he was like, wow, I feel better. I think I can support her. I can be a little more relaxed or make her dinner once a week or, you know, whatever the specific situation was. It was cool to see it work. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like the acceptance part is particularly interesting because sometimes it's like, caught up in a challenge is a decision or decisions and you have to figure out which side to accept right like if you go left or right and like with that example maybe he would have to decide is he going to accept that this is the case and and roll with it or is he going to accept that they have differences they can't resolve you know what I mean have you ever seen people struggle through that sort of like side of things Yes, and that, you know, that's a situation that would come in later for, you know, one-on-one coaching. And it's also this idea of not having to like everything because often we think if we're just accepting it, we're just, you know, resolving ourselves to, you know, whatever comes with the wind. And I'm like, no, I don't like, I still don't like my situation. Do I like I can't drive a car? No. (laughs) Do I like that I'm in pain walking down the street? No. But this is my current situation. So accepting it, you know, makes it easier to just, I'm going to go with this metaphor again, but keep moving You know, I think as long as we're moving, we're making causes to move forward. You know, some of them, again, will work. Some of them, we're so in this society, like everything, I don't know, with all this social media, everything is just so black and white and there's no room for trial and error and you're either succeeding or failing and it it's not real like that's not how life is. Like you have to try things and you have to... I really am working with my own platforms. Like today was a perfect example. I, you know, have been struggling with a hip situation and I've tried a few different doctors and practitioners and it hadn't been working. So I kept asking and I finally landed in a place today that gave me information that seemed on the right track. So 
it wasn't just like, oh, I'm better or mad that I wasn't getting better, which it was, you know, we have to keep seeking and keep asking and maybe it'll work and maybe it won't. And so what if it doesn't? Like why? I just, I don't know. There's no room to just be human anymore. (laughs) I think there's a lot of time pressure tied up in that too. Absolutely. And you're right. The word failure has been coming up a lot for some reason in my circles and actually in the dance world. And it's also something that choreographers are exploring and maybe (laughs) they're trying to figure out why that word is so prevalent, but I could not agree more. Like it's not a failure. Try things. It works out. Awesome. If not, it's all part of a larger process. Underneath the bus. (laughs) My victory dance project. It's pictures with Cheetah up there. Well, I really, you know, and also I write about this in the book. Like it kind of, like so many things, it started sort of as an accident. I really didn't know that we were going to build this whole company at this level and learn as much as we did in the process because I had never really directed in that capacity before I had choreographed but I have a there's a story in the book about how we ended up at the first show and through the process of just people that I knew I kept attracting these company members from the first company from the Alvinelli American Dance Theater and so you think you can dance top 10 finalists and Broadway dancers from Fela and In the Heights and Lion King. I got in rehearsal one night. There's a story in the book, and I it was late, and I was tired, and I wasn't feeling well, and I was struggling, and I was at the stereo, and I was just looking at them all. They were all there. We were working on this big finale, and there were, like, I don't know, 15 of them. And I was just like, holy crap. Like, <laughs> this is, like, no joke. Like... <laughs> You know, and you kind of fake it till you make it. You know, I'm a new director and we I don't know what's going on or how this process works. Or and here it's just, it was just like a, choreo- a choreographer's candy land. And so we, you know, we did the first show and it was a studio showing and it was 200 plus people standing room only, oh, wow. which, you know, putting butts in the seats in New York is, and I thought, wow, like. You know, and it was a little haphazard because we threw a lot of, and, and I'm a, I'm a storyteller. So it just kept, it started out as like one piece and that was an opener. And then I had another piece that I had taught in class before the bus accident. And when I thought, well, that needs something to open it up or it's not going to make sense. And then I have like five of the most amazing male dancers ever working in dance. So if I don't do something with them, it was going to really be a waste of all of this talent. So that was the guy's piece, all these just brilliant, brilliant. I mean, these men were just, I, I can't even with, I don't even have words. If you had a camera right now, you'd see my face turning like sheet white. And, and I was like, well, then we have to, and suddenly we had an opening production number and a 20 minute contemporary ballet, like full on story in, you know, like a month and a half. So (laughs) that's just kind of what happens with me, I think. And it was a little haphazard in the beginning, but then we tried it again in November and I really went back to the drawing board and I thought if we're going to do this, we need to have a mission. It needs to be artists for peace focused. Um, you know, we went through some growing pains, but I wanted to 
award people who had legendary experience. Our first award went to Renee Robinson, you know, legend 32 years, I think, as a principal dancer with the Alvin Ailey American Dance Theater. She took the baton from Judith Jameson with the revelations, you know, so that was (laughs) totally intimidating to me. I was like, oh my God. So as we grew and I became better in my role as director and more um, specific about what I needed from the dancers and we became more unified, you know, as I talk about in the steps, it really was an amazing experience of, you know, as artists, I feel we have such a responsibility because we can break down the barriers in ways that other people can't. And so my goal is always to impact the hearts and the minds of people and help them reframe or think about something differently or feel something or react to something or, you know, it's, it's specific to the individual. And then we have the opportunity to honor Tita Rivera and that was triply terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> and she came to dress rehearsal and I, it's all in the book, but that was she's a living legend and she's still doing shows she's 85 she's still on the road i'm good friends with her assistant now and rosie's like oh we're on the road like oh my god i don't even have that much energy you know so that was amazing and it just really became this actual proof that you can transform trauma to triumph and um again one step at a time you know we went the process got cleaner and the shows got bigger I am humbled to have had the experience to work with dancers of that capacity I had determined to pay them well for their time and rehearsal which I wish was an industry standard that on the business side was a a challenge so it's just amazing what that became how did you attract that talent to begin with it just sounds like such amazing talent. I mean, how do you, as a first-time director, <laughs> it make that happen? It was so, you know, again, I think because I, of my SGI practice, there was someone who chanted in the group I was with who was on hiatus from The Lion King, and he had been injured, and he was like, oh, call my friend Ricardo Zayas. I don't know if you know Ricky, but... So I look up Ricky, and Ricky's like San Francisco Ballet. Uh, I mean, this guy, I almost fell off my chair. And then, like, Rosie Fiedelman taught at the JCC, and I knew her from around. And she's like, oh, my God, this is really cool, and I'm free. I want to be a part of it. And then my other same friend referred me to Chris Jackson, who was I just one thing led to another and I went to a party and I met Miguel and then I knew someone else from the SGI. She said, call my roommate, William. Well, William is a Juilliard grad who worked with, um, I, I mean, it was just literally like overnight there I was in the, you know, I, I I was mortified. I was like, whoa, like, and then suddenly I didn't have limits on the work. So I had to really step it up because before I hadn't really worked with dancers of that capacity. Another friend of mine was like, oh, call my friend Flo. He's here from France. Well, it turns out he won the French version of So You Think You Can Dance France. This oh kid was gosh. amazing. Like he is like literally he's in Europe now. But, I, you know, and I think because it was a paid job, you know, that was part of it. So I had an audition and that's where I got 
some of the dancers. Uh, the small, the first audition had I think nine people. The second audition had seventy nine people. So word had got out <laughs> that you know the work was strong. And I'm very organized, and I will only work in an organized capacity. And um, it was just word of mouth. You know, it was really. And it, you know, again, I think it's mission related. It was just part of the. Then I had to grow into sort of being comfortable with being around that level because I, <laughs> you know, I was like, oh my god, these guys can do it. That's so exciting that it just it came was, together that way. Yeah, it was That's really amazing. kind of insane. Can't wait to um, see the next show. Yeah, the company is actually on hiatus right now while we're promoting the book. I'm really focused on speaking. I'm actually tomorrow I'm speak uh doing a workshop in a studio in New Jersey and getting involved with the younger artists and studying work in other people's processes. Okay. It's a little less administrative demanding. Right. Right. <laughs> but still exciting. Overall, how would you describe your style of movement and dance wow you know i was classically trained which i'm really grateful for i had that basis of knowledge and then when i got to la in the 80s and everybody was hip-hopping i was kind of a snobby new york dancer and, <laughs> but then i kind of liked it and then it kind of worked for me and then i kind of learned it and started teaching i really loved the lyrical contemporary work um, I don't know if you know Doug Caldwell, who passed away. He was a mentor of mine, Susie Taylor, that type emotionally based, you know, contemporary work. But as a choreographer, I became very interested in molding styles because I didn't like being boxed into, you're a classical company or you're a contemporary company. And if you come to see our show, I like to merge the talents to tell the story. So it's a little bit of everything, which becomes fun. You know, I mix the B-girls with the ballatrinas. And we did a gender reversal where he became she and she became he. And yeah, I really, um, I wanted to be unclassifiable <laughs> in terms of stylistically. Yeah. We noticed in your bio that um, it references well, it that you believe in the process of creating your own victory dance. And does that mean, is that what we talked about tied up in your dance philosophy or is that a separate thing, creating your own victory? No, it's part of this whole movement and ideology of how to transform trauma into triumph. And, you know, you don't have to be a dancer. It's not literal. It's metaphorical to create whatever your victory dance is where you are right now, not because you got the man or the house or the we're very tied in in this culture to we'll be happy when right we'll be happy right. when uh, a yacht we'll be happy whatever it is mm-hmm. and that hurts me because <laughs> it's hard for me to you know it's and I feel with these it's not about the love of the work or the love of the process it's about getting the bling and how many followers do I have and mm-hmm. so this idea of creating a a victory dance of where you are right now is like perfect. You're right where you're supposed to be. You can still be happy and still enjoy your life, even with the obstacles that we all have. That's why I wrote the book of how to get to that place and how, to, you know, you can sort of intermingle these steps at any point so that mm. very much like practicing SJ Buddhism, I guess, because, mm. <laughs> you know, it's all interconnected and, um, it's kind of up to us what sort of life state we're in and 
Some days I do better with that than others, but anybody, yeah. this metaphorical victory dance, I mean, you're winning. If you're making causes towards anything, you're winning. It's not about whether you, the end result so much. So maybe tell us about Sweet Enough and your whole Aww. experience with Michelle Obama and pre-Michelle Obama. Oh, and also at the beginning, you mentioned something about um, your struggle with, be, with diabetes being before the Internet and that being significant. And I'm just curious to dig into that more, too, like what the difference it was kind of pre- yeah. and post-Internet and all of that. I was diagnosed in 1972, so it was a whole different time. There has been a lot of advancement in research and technology. You know, I have a Dexcom continuous glucose meter now. It gives me a constant read of my blood sugar, so I always know which way I'm trending. Like, we never would have thought in 1976 that, you know, you didn't even have, like, testing meters. So it was just a whole, you know, and for kids, I think it's helpful because you're able to, better acclimate into normal environment because you can adjust better if you want to have some Halloween candy you can make adjustments now in ways that you we didn't have the information to do that so it was very isolating my mom had to come with me everywhere like and my parents were kind of in denial uh, which is why I wanted to be involved with parents because if the family came. That was very isolating for me. And as an overachiever, then I just needed to really excel. You know, I needed to be dancer, like student. Um, but coming out of my visual complications, I was 21 when that happened, you know, and I was new to LA and I was suddenly around this world, this crazy world of, you know, that was right in not long after MTV launched, which was like 82, 83. And we're talking like 88, 89, 90. It was, uh, you know, the bad tour, the Blonde Ambition tour, all of like commercial dance was really evolving into what it has now become. And so when I lost my sight, you know, again, because I'm just an action oriented and this was pre chanting, I think I've always been wired that way. Um, I was always trying to outrun my diabetes. So <laughs> I got involved with a large diabetes organization and they didn't have any youth programs. And I thought, well, this is crazy. So I created one. The way the organizational structure was set up, they weren't able to really support it. So that's why I went out on my own. No business experience, no idea. I'm like, we're going to file for not for profit. And we're, you know, again, just trial and error, just throwing caution to the wind. And I talk a lot about that in the book. That's how I've gotten through my life. Started this organization and just kind of like the company, it was a little haphazard. And we tried this and I used my background in arts to bring people together through theater and dance events and parties and parents groups. So it was fun. Like it was never fun to me. I was always weird and sick. And so I wanted it to be fun. And then we started with the school campaign. Actually, the Obama story that is in the book, uh, I was still having surgery and going through all that, and I needed just something to occupy my time. So we revamped. I was in a coaching program at Columbia, and I needed a project. And I was said to a friend of mine, let's revamp the kids program. Like, I can't really take on a job right now because I'm having and recovering from surgery. That's how that started. And we built up this program. We got these contracts in school. You know, again, I 
I don't know what this is with me, but <laughs> we just went at it, you know, and raised the money and paid the teachers and found medical support so all the information was accurate and got a board together and wow. and mystically we were able to go to this conference the first along with her Let's Move campaign, Mrs. Obama had the Partnership for Healthier America, which is a more corporate uh, entity. And they were having a summit. We pulled the money together and we went to D.C. And there's a funny story I won't share because you should read it in the book about what happened before I got to D.C. I almost couldn't go. Cause... And actually because I was impaired and not able to stand, we ended up in the front row. That's how I ended up in the receiving line. And, you know, I didn't have a lot of time with Mrs. Obama, but you really could... You can't fake sincerity. You just, you can't fake it. It really, those moments just gave me hope for the world. I thought this woman is the real deal. Like she was so engaging and so happy to be there and so focused on the con like conversation she was having with me despite everything going on around. And then we got that picture and I remember I called my dad. I'm like, oh my God, I just, yes. <laughs> I just met the first lady, Mrs. Obama. I don't know what to do. It was, so it was really amazing. I want to work with them. I don't know in what capacity. I really would like to be part of that that movement because I think they'll be able to actually be a lot more effective now. Yeah, you both look like you're glowing in the photo that's behind us. I love that you say you wanted to, I don't know, how... Help kids have fun with it instead of feeling like the weird one who can't have the candy at the party or whatever. It just gives them a way to be normal and have fun experiences like they should have. And important for them to learn that early on. Well, yeah, I, I spend a lot of time hiding it. There's a lot of that in the book, too. It really affected me in a lot of ways relationally. The choices I made. Um, so I think, you know, be who you are. It, it took me to like almost 50 to get to that point. So, yeah, well, you know, and if you can't handle hard. it now, then it's just, you know, too bad. Yeah, I guess you are never going away. So, <laughs> better be okay with that. Tell us, um, maybe tell us what you think readers will most take away from the book and definitely how they can find it and purchase it since it's new. It's hot <gasps> off the presses. The Exciting. book is available on Amazon.com. Dance because you can, and Jordan. Like I've gotten is that it's just very real and it's very raw, but not in a bad way. Like I don't fluff anything over, and or try and you know. I think in this self help industry, it's like oh, think happy thoughts and always be positive. And I'm like, let's be real, that's just not possible. Like yeah. it's possible to work through things, but. So I hope that people come away with a sense of hope and it makes them laugh because I'm weird and quirky and, and, and that they have a set of tools that help them sort of reframe things they might be experiencing to really have a different outcome or something that they're working towards or, you know, have their own victory dance metaphorically. So I would love people's feedback amazon dance because you can or at amyblurspeaks.com speaking and coaching that's awesome i think our listeners will 
fly to Amazon. <laughs> I hope so. I mean, you've made such a compelling case. I'm really excited to read it myself. Um, other than that, um, what's next for you? What are your goals and what are you most excited about pursuing as you go forward? There's some very interesting things happening right now that this book is out. <laughs> you know, I, right now I'm just really focused on uh, promoting the book. I really want to do more speaking and more workshops with young artists, college level, you know, platforms for women uh, to really be able to stand up with their voices and so that we can be heard. Mm -hmm. I speak for corporations, organizations, youth groups, clubs, small audiences, big audiences. So really, I... I talk about it in the book about a spe the specific situation of this sort of sense of responsibility now that I got this far to really um, create value in the world through these varying platforms, you know, speaking, coaching, writing, choreographing, artists for peace. Oh, well, thank you. Is there anything else? Is there anything you thank you guys for what you do. Really, it's so amazing. I'm so humbled to be here. So it's great to have you in my at my table. That's so nice of you. Thank you so much. We just talk to people. It's fun. <laughs> um, but yeah. You do it well.